Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And we have an interesting topic to tell, tell you about today. Trust me, it's interesting. Uh, owning the libs and turning point slash turning point USA. There's a lot to get into there. I just want to give you a little brief uh, crash course in my understanding of the sort of history of the culture as it pertains to this. There was a time, you know, 10 years ago or even much less than that, when to be um, alternative, to be sort of punk rock meant to be a hardline, uh, raving Democrat, hating George Bush, the president, never saying a negative word about Obama. So like you had to be um, left leaning or neutral in order to be remotely alternative or edgy. And then uh, around, then came 2014, 2015, 2016. And you could say, I think you could say the social justice, feminist, social constructivist, uh, postmodernist. You could say that the members of that, the, the uh, proponents of that philosophy, you could say they cashed in on the premises held by the punk rockers and told them with their purple and pink hair that to be an actual rebel means being careful not to offend anyone and everyone needs to be careful what they say and everyone needs to apologize for being born with original sin. And this would confuse, this would confuse the punk rockers of the 90s or any other time. But philosophy is serious business, folks. So, uh, so then came uh, an era when to have pink hair meant you are a social justice feminist and your Bible is BuzzFeed. And then came the opposition to that very quickly, which was very um, adamant on retaining the offensive attitude, the I can say what I want, the sort of rugged, loosely rugged individualistic attitude, you could say, which you can then say the conservatives cashed in on some of their premises saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. To be to sort of be opposed to the social justice crowd means to be religious, means to have family values, means to be uh, nationalistic, means to uh, see the good in Trump. So you, we see a lot of, lot of cashing-ins, a lot of cashings-in on people's premises. Um, so my one question before I pass this over to the co-host is to all of, you, um, all of you edgy conservatives out there, will this age well? Do you imagine the next generation that comes in will look at Turning Point USA and say, oh boy, that, that Charlie Kirk sure owned those libs. That guy sure was punk the way he completely uh, sold his soul to Donald Trump. And um, anyway, I'll, I'll stop with my opening 35-minute uh, monologue and pass it over to a man who there is no greater joy in life than seeing him nod along and agree with things that I say. And it's those moments when he agrees with me that I realize I'm dealing with an intelligent individual. Nikos Sotirakapoulos. Well, we don't need anything past this monologue. Thank you. See you tomorrow. No, actually, Goodbye. we need oh. but, but you, you did uh, actually, you said the most important, the most interesting thing, which is that we live in the peculiar times when conservatives see themselves as the counterculture and up to a point they are the counterculture. And one of the big contributors to that has been Turning Point US. So we're gonna see, we're gonna start by seeing some good things and then we're gonna go full in with the philosophical artillery attacking the bad things. So what's Turning Point US? It's mostly a student or a young people's organization. 
Uh, it was set up by Charlie Kirk in 2012. And by all standards of efficiency in organizing it, it has been impressive. It, the, the, the impact it has had is impressive. And doing the research today, the, 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 the thing that really surprised me is how young actually Kirk is. I thought he was somewhere in my age, which is 30 something. Turns out, he, yeah, he's, he's, quite, he's quite young. And also, he's, uh, I wouldn't say he's a lieutenant because quite often she's the front woman. Candace Owens, she also had a big impact and quite often taking very, very brave positions that for others it would be difficult to take. And if you go to their website, the positive attitude continues because then you read, for example, their, let's say, their basic principles. And there are three principles. One is the United States of America is the greatest country in the history of the world. I'm not sure if I'd use present or past tense, but that's a good, that's a, that's a point. The US Constitution is the most exceptional political document ever written. Probably agreed. Capitalism is the most moral and proven economic system ever discovered. So up to this point, we're like, that's exactly what the world needs. A youth organization that's going to fight back based on these principles. And then you go on their student, on their shop, and you find the t-shirt which says taxation is theft. So it's like, okay, where do I sign in? But when you go to sign in, you notice something weird. You notice that since 2016, this group has been fully in support of Donald Trump. And here is where the weird stuff happens. And then you go further in the website and you see the line that explains everything about what's happening with Turning Point U US. And it says, we play offense with a sense of urgency to win America's culture wars. And I think this is the key to understanding Turning Point US. So be beyond all these good things, Turning Point US and people affiliated with it, like Candace Owens, they have done some, they have made some statements that have very little to do with this, with all these principles. So for example, if taxation is theft, what are tariffs on the borders? If United States is the most moral and proven, sorry, if capital is the most moral and proven economic system in the world, then why do we need a central planner in chief like Donald Trump? So, and you could start thinking why these inconsistencies and the inconsistencies are because I don't see this as an ideological movement. I see this as a movement whose main aim is to quote on the lips and that it produces a lot of videos that says Kirk or Candace Owens destroys capital letters, the lips or whatever. So anyway, that was my initial, initial evaluation. So any comments on this contradiction between principles and the actual politics of the movement? I think there's a, sort of a, an internal sort of civil war within conservatism uh, which has always been there to an extent. There's always been like the side of conservatives that say religion is the bot the most important thing, but like, but also like, um, like uh, religions part where it says your soul is is endowed by your creator. So kind of like your right to property should be taken seriously. That versus the sort of anti-immigration, like that's the bottom line. Closed borders and nationalism, like that's the most important thing. And 
Um, those two, uh, I mean, the way it's sort of manifested more lately is that there's the sort of alt-right um, side, the, I guess we call them the new right, if we want to be a little bit softer and more general, the new right, which is the Trump, nationalistic, um, anti-constitutional, really, just like they, they, they think it's silly to take the founding documents very seriously. That side versus what, who they would refer to as cuckservatives, you know, those, <laughs> those, uh, those dorks who still uh, pay lip service to the Constitution and the founding principles, individualism, principles. So, you, so you're talking about contradictions with principles. I mean, so the new right, I think what you could say sort of uh, characterizes them is that they, they think principles are for cucks. Principles are for suckers. So the fact that Donald Trump kind of makes up the rules as he goes makes him a winner. He's like, he's the hard ass. He's the cool guy from, you know, the movie who wins. So that they like that about him. And Charlie Kirk, who sort of uh, came onto the scene at a time when, like you said, 2012, uh, you still had this sort of tea party thing happening on the right where like the founding principles were referred to. Um, individualism was still was still spoken of fondly. Um, he kind of came, he kind of made a name for himself speaking about the founding principles. And I think um, Yaron Brook has said that Charlie Kirk was influenced by him in his uh, high school years. Um, so he was actually never an objectivist, but uh, sometimes sounded a bit like one in some of his rhetoric. He went from that to the point where he's got Donald Trump on the on the cover of his book. I mean, him and Trump, there's no daylight between them. I mean, Trump knows that Kirk is a loyal young friend of his who is mobilizing the youth around himself, around Trump. Um, he, Charlie Kirk, you know, I like, I like to uh, have some forgiveness in my heart for the young, but at the same time, he's an influential youngster. He is a, he is mobilizing the youth and he has abs he has decisively turned conservatism in the direction of the new right of Trump with closed borders and, um, you know, nationalism, as the sort of important thing right now. But it gets interesting, and I don't know if you were gonna bring this up today, but it gets the, the twist, the sort of Game of Thrones twist of events, is that now the new, new, like the Groiper alt-right crowd, the Zoomers who are, um, who are just like 100% anti-founding documents. They're just explicitly opposed to individualism um, at all. They, they really, really wanna go the nationalistic route. They are showing up at Charlie Kirk's Turning Point events. They are showing up at Donald Trump Jr.'s event where him and his girlfriend are trying to play the, the Fox and Friends, Fox News agreeable sort of game. And they're saying, what are, you, what are we doing here? Is this a Christian nation or not? You know, what, why do we have, why are, we, why are you sharing a stage with gay people, they're asking. Why are you sharing the stage with trans people, they're asking. So they are actually pushing Charlie Kirk and his ilk um, to their extreme and sort of cashing in on their premises. So um, Charlie Kirk, you know, you sell your soul. You're going to have to, you have to live with the consequences. You got to figure out what you believe and stick with this, sir. Yeah. The, to be, to be fair, uh, for the alt-right, Charlie Kirk is part of the conservatives and the, I don't think there's any uh, doubt that they, that they're in opposition to each other. So we're not, uh, we're not accusing the, the turning point of being quote alt-right or anything like that. But what we are accusing it is to betraying these principles, as you said. And for me, the worst example was Candace Owens. And again, she's very good on many things, but 
I lost a lot of hope when she said that burning the flag should cost you your citizenship or something like that. So she proposed something like the equivalent of criminalizing the burning of the flag, which shows that you don't understand these, you don't understand these principles. And I will, I've said it before, I will say it again. There is a, a reason why conservatives, their only chance is the culture wars because the culture wars are easy. All you have to do is be edgy, stick it to the other side, have this bombastic, a very lively attitude, and they're very good at it. But culture wars is usually a mask hiding that there's not much ideologically behind. So if you support, for example, Trump's trade policies, you don't understand capitalism. If you support that if you burn the flag, you should be penalized, you don't understand the constitution. So the culture wars is a symptom, and it's a symptom of the right and the left not being able anymore to fight the battle of ideas. So they fight this mud battle. I throw you mud, you throw me mud. And quite often, I think they don't even understand even within the culture wars, what is the right position. So for example, a turning point, both in the US and in the UK have had a program which is it has different names in different countries, but it's something like professor watch list. This means that if your professor is, uh, is uh, giving you leftist propaganda, you save them. Now, you have the right to do so in a way, so that's not the same as canceling, I guess, but me being an academic, that's super annoying. Because you know what? If you disagree with me, raise your hands, and tell me that you disagree, or bring it somewhere else. Deal with it as with pre, deal, deal with it with the dignity that you can stand for your opinion. The last thing I want is without me re realizing a student posting somewhere, oh, this crazy Greek bearded guy named Ayn Rand, and I did a bit of googling, and Ayn Rand is a racist and a bad person and hates the poor. Right. So this. This, this urgency to stick it to the other side quite often leads to these, bizarre, uh, to these bizarre examples. And also, you mentioned nationalism, specifically with Turning Point UK. It, it looks like it goes more towards that route. So in Turning Point UK's website, we see a student movement for free markets, limited government, personal responsibility, and duty to others. What? What is duty to others? And then there's a blog there. And again, a blog does not picture the whole movement, which says, I'm a nationalist, baby, yeah. So my understanding is that what's happening here is these people, for example, they see Jordan Peterson, he talks about duty. It's like, that's the edgy thing to do. These are the hedonists. We're going to be the duty to others. They are the globalists. We're going to be the nationalists. So what ends up happening is you become the mirror image of the other side. Yes, the other side are as bad as it gets. But by being their mirror image, you're also becoming equally, not, maybe not equally, but you're becoming really bad. Yeah, look, I mean, in politics, once we have a lobby system and once people generally accept having a lobby system, basically that the job of a politician is to pick winners and losers. Let's say they're pro-union and they're anti-billionaire, for instance. And another politician says, no, 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 I'm, I'm pro-big business because it creates jobs. 
but you know, the unions need to be tamed a bit. You know, let's say the teachers unions, I'm opposed to the teachers. I'm going to weaken the teachers union because they're not helping the kids, the students. And another one says, no, no, you know, everyone's picking a, a winner and a loser. Everyone's picking a team. And that's the nature of a lobby system. Uh, so that's a, a type of government that is not limited by any principled rule of law. It's just, they're just here to use the law to benefit someone and it's inevitably gonna be at the expense of another. So that's in government. When we agree that the lobby system is the way it is and the way it ought to be, as most people do, unfortunately, then it becomes an impossible like argument to have a, a, an impossible conversation if, if you cede that premise that the lobby system ought to be there. It's impossible to win. Nobody wins. Everyone's always gonna be at each other's throat and life becomes a zero sum game. So I, I bring that up to bring it back down to the philosophical level. When we have mixed premises, you know, it becomes kind of like a lobby system of the soul, if you like. Um, you like that? I, like I said earlier, there's no, no reward like, uh, like Nikos lighting up at my words. Um, sort of a lobby system of the soul where you have these mixed premises and then you, we see the, uh, the punk rockers turn into uh, social justice feminists that are setting Berkeley on fire and then you know, and then, and meanwhile, the, the, the opposition to that is saying, no, no, free speech, free speech, free speech. And then within, you know, a year or a short amount of time, you have people on the right saying it should be illegal to burn the flag. Well, whatever happened to free speech? Well, but we only have free speech because of the American flag. The American flag gives us our free speech. It was just a short, I mean, and that's just a couple sh quick examples of how mixed premises and contradictions quickly uh, flip people into, into the opposing groups. And today, some leftist lawyers are some of the last vanguards of protecting free speech at the and, and the legal level and uh and some uh right-wing lawyers conservative lawyers are the actually leading the charge and using antitrust legislation and other bs to uh to regulate facebook and other websites like that so we're seeing all we're seeing free speech and property rights uh, with various enemies and bedfellows uh and it's getting stranger with time the world is getting very strange and it's sad because just a few short years ago, I guess 10 years ago or now, um, I remember Republicans were running against Obama. They, they were saying things like, our rights don't come from the government. Our rights come from nature and from God, which, you know, I'll take it. These days, I'll take that. I'll, you know, if we can maybe take nature and God and maybe over time uh, sort of uh, just blend them to a point where we're, where we're just saying nature. And that's, that's basically, I think, what, the founders meant when they say, you know, our rights are, were endowed by our creator. That, that most philosophers, so even some of the better philosophers, even I think Aristotle, uh, sort of believed in God when like they, they couldn't sort of tie it all together. They had some kind of prime mover creator uh, to kind of as the glue. And that, I think that's what the founding print, uh, documents were sort of saying when they talk about God. So to have politicians again or to, or to have popular intellectuals again talking about our rights not coming from the government but coming from nature slash god that would be uh that would be a breath of fresh air considering the world we're living in today well yeah within a context when it's a small mistake that you can correct it by telling them that yeah you mean by nature of reality yeah i agree by the way i knew raka would be on fire today the moment i saw that cool Robocop t-shirt so right one so to finish though on a on a more positive note because as I said in the beginning the the impact of the of turning point has been very has been important it has it has had an impact on the culture world 
So how do we people who are engaged in, let's say, in objectivist activism, is there anything to learn from such a movement? So I haven't thought, I just came up with this question a couple of minutes ago, so I haven't got an answer. So you'll have to bail me out here, but maybe being, being very open, being very brave, being out there and not, and actually trying to get the moral high ground and also bringing philosophy, in, they don't bring philosophy, but bringing morality in the game. They bring their morality, which is not the proper one, but as a system, it works. It's something that gets people fired up. And also if you tell people, look, we are the real radicals, it works. So is there a, is there a open way for objectivists as well to, to go down a similar route, but a better one? Yes and no. I mean, it's complicated. And the more I study objectivism, the more I realize how sensitive it is to error that completely like makes you rationalistic and you lose your way. So it's very difficult to get charismatic, even younger people to get out there and, and be radicals for objectivism. I mean, like they're going to make mistakes and that we're going to end up with more Stefan Molyneux and, and various uh, sort of bastardized offshoots of what they he might claim used to be objectivism or something like that. Um, I mean, we'll end up with more Charlie Kirks ultimately, if, if, if you don't understand it. So it's, it's sort of a, a double a catch 22 where like you need to be uh, have like decades of study to understand objectivism truly, I think, and to take it seriously and to live and to look at the world and gain life experience to really understand it enough to I probably teach it. But then at the same time, um, it's like the, the, the clock is ticking. You know, everyone else, you know, Charlie Kirk on the right or uh, whoever it is on the left, they get to be reckless because they're cashing in on what basically people already believe. We're, we're trying to uh, push a philosophy that challenges people so fundamentally. So at the end of the day, uh, as much as I get as impatient as anyone, I think I'm increasingly coming to the conclusion that the way to change the culture is to patiently study objectivism, to be inspired by it more than to be um, uh, kind of riled up by it and, and re restless and reckless. You need to study it, understand it, be inspired, and, um, and kind of, uh, if we're going to be public like you and I are, we need to sort of take the audience on a journey with us rather than talk to them like we're here to teach them something. What do you think? Because, hey. because, we, because we are not. Yeah, we are not. And we are not the... We are students of the movement and we try to make sense of the world having it as a compass, but there's a very good chance we're mistaken. So I get all what you said. At the same time, as Francisco said at the end of one of the best speeches in history, and your time is running out. So this has two meanings. So time is running out. But also, as you see, more lockdowns, economic recession, if not something worse, crazy things happening in the world. I get this urgency more and more and more. Anyway, anyway. You know, uh, it gets darkest right before dawn is what they say. Look, I mean, if we have a healthy um, scene of people interested in objectivism, I would say things could move in a positive direction. They don't, it's not written in stone that all, you know, young objectivists become libertarians or alt-right quickly. Like it's, it's very possible that I, that a, 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 a crowd of people who are interested in objectivism will become influential and will 
have some prudence and good temperament as they go on this journey rather than losing patience. It, it, look, uh, it is possible that good times are ahead. Like, we don't know who's watching this right now. Like, somebody could be, uh, you know, inspired to read The Fountainhead. And next thing you know, um, not next thing, but within, you know, 10, 20 years from now, the next Leonard Peikoff says his journey began with, um, with watching us talk about how hopeless things are and how much we're losing hope and running out of time. You never know. It's, it's hard to say. Let's, fin let's end on that optimist note, although... 20 years, I don't know. Can we do it faster? Anyway, anyway, that's, that's not something that we can order. Okay, thank you very much, everyone. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.